0: Hello, I was going to talk about football, because this is a football podcast after all. But as I have a few times before, and these are weird times, there hasn't always been football this year, and there still isn't what I would call normal football. So we've talked about other stuff on this podcast since we were all first locked down, and we'll continue to do so. So I'm going to do that again. With another lockdown over, but restrictions in place, but vaccines tantalisingly close. Perhaps this is the right time for a final lockdown diary. So yeah, Football, let's skip over that. Well, in a bit anyway. No one wants more chat about VAR. All I will say is that VAR will be tinkered with, adjusted and the application changed, often for the even worse, as we've seen with handballs or arms being offside, but it will not be scrapped. We've come too far now. If it were to be scrapped, I guarantee it will follow a perceived injustice for a big team, not after Crystal Palace were robbed of points. See, that's how football's hierarchy works. To embrace Liverpool whinge fest, should you wish VAR to be put in the same bin as goalies picking up back passes, white dog poo and the pick-and-mix at Woolworths. Our only way out of VAR hell is when Liverpool and United hit a certain number of perceived injustices. You only have to see that from the Brighton game when all of VAR's decisions were actually correct. Anyway, on to the second and final topic, footballers and concussion, and I feel the need for a brief note or two on this because this week Talksport have Troy Deeney on saying that players should be capable of deciding whether they should be allowed to play on. And there you have it, everything wrong with the discussion and much current media coverage in one tiny little video clip on Twitter. It's as moronic as claiming that footballers can't be depressed because they earn loads of money. At what point do certain broadcasts become not just irresponsible but dangerous? If we are at some point going to take player welfare seriously in regards to concussion and head injuries, then we listen to medical experts, those that know what they are talking about and the risks involved of a blow to the head, not an effing footballer. Why are we allowing media time for players to talk about this and tell us what should be done? Yes, it's them involved when these things happen, but they have no idea what is at stake here, just like you and I probably don't either. You see it's the In My Experience Brigade, the sort of people that think Covid is overstated because they don't know anyone who has died from it. Your experience as a footballer, Troy, counts for nothing. The experiences of doctors, surgeons and experts in neuroscience, if that's the right branch, they've had to deal with the consequences of concussion and head injuries. They're the ones whose experience we must listen to, and no one else. And what they say is clear. Football does not take the issue seriously enough. And allowing David Luiz to return to the pitch against Wolves was a disgrace and prove that. Of course, players will often want to play on however they feel. And for that reason alone, the decision can never be theirs or that of the manager, who may be under pressure and desperate for a result. We need protocols that make such decisions for those involved. Oh, very quickly, a third topic. Porto, eh? Them calling out racists is a kid's Donald Trump lecturing you on not respecting women enough. This has been the year of a lack of self-awareness. A team that includes Pepe does not get to lecture on things on the pitch. A club whose fan base has been found guilty of racial abuse and used transparent, pathetic, wafer-thin excuses to claim that they were misheard should keep its mouth shut. I guess part of it is a Benfica thing, and part of it is Porto being one of the most classless clubs City have ever encountered. City should not let this go, a statement is not enough. Though, as always, we do not know what goes on behind the scenes. But hey, that really is enough about football. I thought I'd talk about life again. It's been a while since my last lockdown diary entry. So long I don't know if it was a monologue or I actually wrote it down as a blog. So I thought that as there's been another lockdown since, which apparently we're out of now, not that you would notice a difference, it was time for an update. Time to check in, see how everyone is. Feel free to virtually wave at me because it's good to talk and wave. Now the waves of my and everyone else's moves this year has been fascinating if rather grim. I'm probably in a better place than many, so I'm not in a position to complain about my lot. I wouldn't anyway. I've maintained an income of sorts, avoided illness for now, and my friends and family are getting by too. So many have suffered so much more. Nevertheless, autumn was tough as the restrictions really hit home and as more and more time passed under those restrictions. Harder, in fact, than Neil Ruddock's penis. And if that last sentence has left you a tad confused then thank your lucky stars and whatever you do, do not google his name right now. Anyway, weirdly the hardest time was when regulations allowed me to actually get out and sit in the occasional pub garden or back garden. This should have improved the mood of course but in fact simply increased the anxiety, worried that I was putting myself at risk every minute I was near another human being. Many of us have got used to this hermit lifestyle even if in reality it's making us rot away slowly. But surely, isolation has chipped away at the social skills we took as granted. At some point, I and everyone else that's actually followed the rules will have to learn to return to normality, as I'm not sure it will be as simple as I believe. But greater human interaction will undoubtedly feel good. It will feel amazing to not have to jump into roads when someone walks past you, though even I have stopped doing that now. It will feel great when I don't have to isolate for two weeks just to see my parents. I'm more at ease about contracting Covid now, as most are as time passes. Just in time for me not being able to go out anyways, Manchester enters Tier 3. No pubs, no meals out, and even my leisure centre is shut until 2021. Thankfully, rates are dropping sharply across Manchester, and Trafford has the lowest case rates of all, lower than the national average, so hopefully Tier 2 is on the way, though again, little will change practically. And for now, no badminton for me, the most important part of my week for mental health. But I do have something else to help on that front, namely a lovely ten-year-old arthritic chocolate Labrador called Maya. Maya is no spring chicken and so is pretty docile, like myself, most of the time, we're not talking about football anyway. As I type these words her snoring is drifting across the room. At first I simply invited more anxiety on myself by agreeing to look after a dog after an appeal from someone on my local Facebook page. It is just two days a week, but what if I ended up killing someone else's dog? after inadvertently feeding them chocolate or allowing them to run into traffic. Pet-wise, my biggest responsibilities have been fish, tropical marine, a rat and some guinea pigs. A dog is a big step up. But then I realised I don't eat chocolate anyway, and I could just keep the dog on the lead near roads. And it's been great. The responsibility is good. The extra steps are helpful, considering I've just ordered 12 large succulent pies online. And she sleeps much of the day anyway. And as dog owners and cat owners will know, they are the great stress reliever. As she is dropped off at seven AM, I even get a shed load of work done on those days too. She's the most loyal of dogs, always sat by your side and only asked for the odd tennis ball to be thrown across a muddy field and plenty of strokes under the chin. Now a friend said the walks with a dog are the best bit, which I was loath to agree with as it felt like a chore, a chore that involved picking up dog poo in front of other people, which is rather dehumanising. And Maya knows just when to drop her load for the maximum embarrassment. She also knows how to do sit-down protests when she fancies a break in her old age, once doing it on a busy street as my friend drove past. And once she sits down, there is no moving her until she decides it's time to go. So I just stand there looking at my phone as if I am in control, having engineered the situation. Just play it casual. But yeah, apart from the poo thing, it is the best bit of owning or looking after a dog. Because a dog is at its happiest when out walking and when sniffing other dogs' bottoms, so that should be when I am happiest too. That and getting a box of crisps in the post. Anyway, in the world in general, there is light at the end of the tunnel, I would hope. And there is hope, of course, and hope is everything. Football fans know that. Hope is the start of every season, taking an unexpected lead. It's been linked with a great player you thought you could never sign. Hope is getting a goal back when defeat seems inevitable. It's Kevin Horlock's Wembley goal, it's heading Dzeko's equaliser versus QPR, though I felt little hope at the time, truth be told. And the UK is giving a thumbs up to administering vaccines with near immediate effect. And it's just as well really, because we've all really have had enough of restrictions haven't we? You see, it was important to follow the rules for a while, for most of us anyway. Our lives seemingly depended on it, and I still do mostly. But we all waned, the middle classes especially, or the working classes with a bit of dough, however you define them. They understand the virus, they always have. They know that we must be sensible during these difficult times. But for four months, they were stuck at home with money burning a hole in their pockets. So they began to reassess what was safe and what was not, and off they popped for their weekends away. Always wearing a mask indoors though, except pubs and restaurants, obviously. And I started playing badminton, four of us blowing and panting over each other in a confined indoor space. That was my one vice, but for mental health I felt I had to. Sanitising after every game, trying to keep two feet apart from playing partners on the court, this was not normality, but this was my bubble, so fair enough. And on the last day before lockdown, it turns out that one friend was playing with the virus, so what followed was two weeks of more anxiety, waiting to see if I'd developed symptoms. Thankfully not, though I may have had it already anyway, and he is now on the mend. What will now follow is another near-month of isolation so that I can spend Christmas Day with my parents. But the world has changed irrevocably during 2020. It's shifted on its axis. Hand sanitizer now has a street value equal to that of hard drugs, and there's been a lucrative black market in selling Waitrose delivery slots that's helped me pay the bills and for this week's pie order. You have to pay big to get a Saturday morning slot, though. And I've got used to the sounds of a lockdown or two ambulance sirens, leaf blowers, the co-commentary of Andy Hinchcliffe, the neighbours arguing and the piano being played badly below me for three hours a day. Sometimes it's sunny and much of the time it is raining, but weather is less important than ever for me right now. I'm mostly looking at it rather than experiencing it after all. And I thought I'd been frugal this year, yet the spare room now resembles a recycling centre. I've never witnessed such a collection of cardboard and jiffy bags in my life. It's like an art installation. At some point, I intend to place it all in a garage. Perhaps tomorrow, always tomorrow. If it caught fire, the whole of South Manchester would be gone, just like that. But for nine months, the routine has been almost always the same. Rise early, coffee boost, another coffee boost, do some work, another coffee boost, consider once more whether it's really morally acceptable for me to spend £30 on a few pieces of artisanal cheese during these tough times, even though I really, really love all cheese, then decide against it, do some more work, fight against a desire for a power nap, slowly finish off some more work, read, cook, TV, bed, rinse and repeat, seemingly endless pot washing and far too much snacking. There are of course Zoom calls and drinks and still plenty of laughter, just not face-to-face, for now. Chats about city across a corridor with my neighbour, long, winding socially distanced queues outside shops and a calmness and eerie quiet where once there was hustle and bustle. Sometimes, I still get spooked occasionally for a fleeting moment when I see people really close together on my TV screen when my brain momentarily forgets the images I am witnessing were filmed 8 or 30 years ago. It even happened when I was playing a video game yesterday. Spider-Man was too close to a robotic henchman, and all I could think about was the COVID risk. There's so much time to fill, though. I have this constant guilt trip that it must be filled constructively, that it must be productive, especially as money is hardly abundant. Well, non-existent, to be honest. That perhaps is why I threw myself into organising the charity podcast, as I needed a project. Is any charitable act truly selfless, and does it matter? And with this time, this nagging feeling remains about writing a book away from football. A fictional work based loosely on a man who from beyond the grave has left clues for someone about something or other through the medium of online reviews. I can't get the idea totally nailed down, nor remove the thought that writing a book is a really, really stupid idea with little gain, but I'll probably do it anyway. And as December approached, I did something I've not done before. I watched a gig online. As our government has abandoned the arts, many have suffered and many have adapted and found new ways to perform. And what a gig. If the name Daniel Kitson means nothing to you, then remedy that the minute this podcast is finished. Or do it now. I won't mind. He's worth it. My favourite comedic storyteller, his latest show, Dot Dot Dot, was simply him at home. That's the theatre in central Manchester, not his house. In front of a table with 200 or so post-it notes. And then for almost two hours, he told the story of his lockdown. Truth is, I barely took my eyes off the screen, and my mobile phone is usually glued to my hand. It was everything a Daniel Kitson production always is. Funny, warm, poignant. So much so that during the show, I started writing down penciled notes, as he'd inspired my brain to think of new ideas, new scripts, new things to write about. That is a special power he has right there. So do check out his website. Check out any shows. I promise you will not regret it. But anyway, we all need this to end. Not just this podcast, but the coronavirus pandemic too. And end soon. And we all want it to end soon. Brexit, Trump, COVID, they really opened us up to what people were really like, didn't they? There were a few surprises there, no doubt about it. It was rather demoralising. So whatever your views, whether you think vaccines contain microchips, 5G masts are giving us COVID, or that jet fuel can't melt steel beams, it doesn't matter once we get normality back and have fucked off the virus. It won't go, of course, not completely, but near enough, and that will do. For many, we just want the day when we're not spooked standing on a packed tram, hugging a person, or sitting in your seat with your friends, watching the boys in blue. It'll be worth the wait. Surely, that's all I want. To stand up, clear my throat, and scream at the city team to fucking shoot for once. Then to sit down, before swearing a couple of times more, regaining my composure over a minute or so, and that will be it. That will be the moment my moment of zen the world will be back on its correct axis we will all try and carry on where we left off in march if we can take care everyone and until next time as always up the blues